You know what time it is. Time for another train wreck. Welcome to Not Another Baptist Podcast, a podcast exploring church revitalization, church planting, and other Southern Baptist goodies for your ear holes. I'm Matt Hensley, the pastor of May Hill Baptist, and I'm grateful that black coffee is always available at Starbucks, unlike my prima donna that you're about to hear from. And I'm Kyle Beerman, the pastor of First Baptist Church, Alan McGordo, and I'm oh so happy that it is fall or that it's at least September because that means that pumpkin spice latte is back, which means <sighs> Christmas is not far away, Matt. That's what it means. What? I've already been to Hobby Lobby multiple times. You've probably but, already decorated too. I, I, I'm not there yet. Michelle tells me no. So I'm, I'm proud of Michelle. <laughs> Michelle, put your foot down on this one. Uh, anyway, we're both pastoring fantastic churches in Southern New Mexico and bringing this podcast to you so you know exactly what not to do as you learn from our mistakes. But on this episode, it's not really going to be about us or our churches or even our families. We've got a special guest that we'll introduce you to in just a second. But now for a word from our sponsor by Sir Kyle Pumpkin Spice Latte Beerman. <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by the Christian Standard Bible. And so you could say, as we often do, that we're the official podcast of the Word of God. We love the CSB because of its blend of readability and accuracy. And we encourage you to check it out at csbible.com after the show. Well, today we welcome Dr. Jason Allen to the show. Dr. Allen is the president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City. And we're delighted to visit with him to see what God is up to at Midwestern. So uh, let's start with you, Dr. Allen. Tell us about your family and how you ultimately ended up at Midwestern Seminary. Yeah. Hey, listen, delighted to be on the podcast with you guys. I appreciate from a distance your work and get to keep up with it, at least occasionally. And uh, you guys have great personalities, great ministries. You're delighted to listen to and to observe. And so thanks for having me on, Matt and Kyle. Uh, my family, we have five children. My wife, Karen, and I have been married going on 20 years, 20 years next summer. And we have five kids. They're now ages 15, 14, uh, 13, 11, and 10. So they're packed together. Uh, our oldest two are 13 months apart. Our youngest two are 11 months apart. And so just we're, we're, we're one big, rollicking, happy family. When God called us to Midwestern, um, our kids were ages nine to four. And so, man, they were so young and just, you know, it's such such a tender age. And to see them grow as we're here now, I am uh, almost, I've almost completed my sixth year. And so, again, not a, a vast amount of time, but long enough to be able to see God's faithfulness and to see progress and see trend lines and so forth. So we're profoundly thankful. Uh, you asked about my coming to Midwestern Seminary. It, it's really a unique story. So I'm from Mobile, Alabama. My wife and I both grew up in Mobile. I was called to ministry at Dolphin Way Baptist Church under the preaching of Steve Lawson, who many of your listeners may know. We loaded up our belongings, went to seminary in 2001, summer of 2001, went to Louisville, Kentucky for Southern Seminary. I did the MDiv degree and eventually the PhD degree there as well. Uh, we were in the Louisville area from 2001 to 2012. So I pastored a couple of churches around there. I, I served in a couple different capacities at Southern. I, I went back to work full-time at Southern as assistant to the president in, in January of 06. 
and served in that role until the summer of 09. And then the summer of 09, I went to serve as vice president for institutional relations, where I served for the summer of 09 until, well, until October of 2012. So, so we were there just, you know, having kids like crazy folks, folks referred to our children as our annual child. And uh, we just kept having a kid about once every year or so, and just having a delightful time serving the church, very happy in Louisville. We, we thought that if we ever left Louisville, uh, we, it would be to pastor. And so we were there, you know, just enjoying life and feeling centered in God's will. The the summer of 12, or really the spring of 12, there began to be a touch of a stirring in our hearts, not knowing why, a touch of restlessness there. And and we were at a real crossing, a real crossroads where we were actually going to buy a new home and, and something larger since our family had grown and so forth. We had a great deal in our house. It all seemed perfect, but God shut it down and the house uh, went to another buyer before we could buy it. And that gave us pause. Okay, Lord, are you preventing us from, you know, kind of resettling here? Well, May of 2012, uh, the search committee reached out to me from Midwestern. And the chairman of the committee named Bill Booyer uh, was a pastor in North Carolina. He's now is with the Lord. And Dr. Booyer called and just said, you've been recommended by a number of people. We'd like for you to treat the process seriously. and We'd like to engage you in a serious way. And that played out really from May to October when I was elected. So they started with, you know, many, many dozens of candidates. They narrowed it to a tighter list and then went from four to three to two to one. And so really from May, really June, July, September, August and September were really intense months with interviews, with providing documentation. Um, not knowing at all if God would uh, would call us here. We felt very much in step with God's will throughout the conversations, throughout the interviews. And I would look, I was 35 years old, so I wasn't particularly old. Um, the seminary was in a real crisis financially. They had been in a real enrollment crisis, a whole host of leadership challenges over the preceding several years. So it was in a real low ebb. And so I think that perhaps that emboldened the search committee to kind of throw a deep pass and, and take a, make a riskier selection with a younger guy. And I had people, friends, loved ones tell me, you shouldn't go. It's going to ruin your ministry. The situation's irrecoverable. And we just, you know, kind of naively took a step of faith to come. And, and literally from day one, it's been a profound blessing. God has done incredible work here. Some of that story you guys are aware of, perhaps some of it not. And just to see the Lord's working and the Lord's faithfulness now for six years, it just, it literally never ceases to amaze me what, what God's doing. Amen. No, well, we, 35 we, is not old at all. I want to I put that out there right now. 35 is still <laughs> <laughs> no, my first new student orientation here, I went to it and, uh, you know, I was 35 and welcome new students and a couple of students were there that I was the president and, and they think, you know, I'm like another student here. And then throughout the, <laughs> throughout the conversation, they figured out I'm a president and one of the guys talking was 35 and he was like here for his undergraduate degree, you know, and kind of been a kind of been a slow to make progress. And, and his friend said to him, said, man, you're 35. Oh, that makes you feel like a loser. <laughs> and, uh, oh, no. and I was like, oh, no, no, no. Everybody in his own time. The Lord has a different plan for everyone. There are many people who accomplish great things for God, for Christ. I was without a college degree, period, much less uh, earning one a little later in life. So, so yeah, it's been sweet to kind of grow up here and our kids to be enmeshed in the seminary community and get to grow up here and you know do family life with seminary families and so forth. Awesome. Well, we, we just came out of, we just came out of a, what, what could have been a very, uh, tempestuous SBC annual meeting. And then it ended up being very united as we saw, uh, God was, I think, glorified through it. And, and so there's a lot of, uh, you know, discussions surrounding race relations or social justice or, uh, salvation issues. And so we really want to start off with a very deep, profound theological question for you. 
Okay. That is this. Who is taller, you or Dr. Bingham at Swibitz? So that is a very deep, profound theological question for sure. Uh, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I've never stood back to back with him or come think of it, any other man. Uh, but, uh, you know, we were on the platform together at the SBC in Dallas. And he's tall. And we were looking eye to eye. You know, I'm not sure he may be taller. I may be taller, but he's clearly in the vicinity of my height. So I, when I played college basketball, they listed me at six, seven. I'm six, seven with, you know, high tops on and standing, standing erect. Um, I'm probably closer to six, five, six, six and more, more normal posture, normal shoes. So I'm pretty tall. You know, I, I often get people kind of, Whoa, we didn't realize you were that tall. And so I, I'm tall enough to get attention. I'm not so tall that, you know, I'm like a circus freak. So you don't want to be that tall to where if you're not in the NBA, you know, there's not much, you, you know, you go around through life kind of apologizing for your height. Yeah. Um, well, that leads us right into this next because we are our next question because we are asking the hard questions, hard hard hitting journalism here at uh, Not Another Baptist podcast, and that is, who are your favorite Southern Baptist uh, brothers and sisters to play basketball with and or against? You know, you guys are straight into the deep end. So I really don't play basketball like much at all. So I left the college basketball team my junior year to pursue ministry, was thoroughly burnt out on basketball. So I literally in 20 years now, close to 20 years, probably haven't played more than maybe like a couple dozen pickup basketball games. I mean, I went years without playing at all. And so now my kids are a little older. I shoot baskets with them in the backyard. Um, my wife took some videos of me dunking in the backyard a couple months back, and kept, we kind of had fun posting it, posting them. It's become a thing with our new student center just about finished. They actually started putting the hardwood floor in today, and so a lot of chatter on campus about me dunking in the new gym. So I'm feeling pretty good about my chances of that. I'm still in relatively good shape. But as it relates to who I would like to play against, well, I like to win. Uh, I'll confess that I like to win. So I'm feeling pretty good about playing any of the other SBC entity heads. Okay. <laughs> I'm my chance based upon my relative age and my relative fitness. So I'll take on any of those guys anytime in a game of one-on-one, -on -one, as long as money or something other substance is on the line, I'll do it. Yeah. All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. There it is. Right. Here's the challenge. <laughs> you heard it here. And if for some reason you get in like a losing streak, feel free to call up Kyle or myself and, and we'll be happy to play against you and, and you can dunk all day long. <laughs> so my so wife I, was laughing. I was in the yard with my 13-year-old son the other day and I was dunking a little bit and uh, we were trying to we were toying with a video of me dunking on him. But uh, we, we aborted that because I just didn't want to land on his foot and roll my ankle and, and be the doofus limping for three months. But uh, I don't know, guys. I'm telling you, I, I think I got I think I can still dunk a few times. Then I may hang it up, hang, hang up my shoes after that. Yeah. Well, we, we know that one of the things afforded to, you know, an entity leader like yourself is often the ability to, to travel uh, far and wide, certainly to uh, share what God's doing at, at Midwestern, uh, but, but also having the opportunities to preach the gospel. Tell us maybe the furthest or the farthest you've gone to preach the gospel, kind of what, what was happening there and, and perhaps what God did uh, while you were there. So the furthest I went to preach the gospel or to preach period would have to be uh, to Korea, which is, you know, almost exactly the other side of the world. So it's pretty hard for me to get much, much farther than that. I've preached in Korea several times. Some of that you know, kind of traditional gospel preaching, some of that more preaching to the saints. Um, as far as more of a classic, more, more mission trip type scenario where you're preaching to people, 
that have had you know, little previous exposure to the gospel, little if any. That would probably be more in Eastern European settings, uh, Central to Eastern European settings like Romania, for instance. Um, you know, I, I have five young children. Um, I am tall, so travel is never particularly comfortable. Um, I, I don't travel maybe as much as you would think. I mean, I, I, my job comes with a fair amount of travel, but I'm not one of these guys trying to win a travel award. I mean, I go where I need to go, go where God calls me to go, try to get in and out pretty surgically, uh, get in, preach, serve, do what I need to do, and get back home so I'm not away from my kids too long. But I love to preach. I'm flying now a couple times a month to preach at First Baptist Jackson in the Jackson, Mississippi area, downtown Jackson, Mississippi. Loving that. And I'm preaching, you know, in addition to that, different places. So I'm preaching on average at least once a week somewhere, some weeks more than once a week. And uh, I love it. I love what God's called me to do. I'm telling you, there, there are better seminary presidents alive, but there probably is not a happier one. Just feel profoundly called here to Midwestern Seminary, feel profoundly called to, to, to the task of leading a theological institution. So, so what you're saying is you're not rivaling David Platt's frequent flyer miles then? <laughs> no, not David Platt or many other friends. I tell you, some of them, like, they're trying to win a travel award. Like, like man, stay home. You got a family. Stay home. No reason to be going that way. Um, okay, so one of the things we like to ask uh, preachers who preach a lot and, and, and preach in a lot of different locations is if you have kind of a most embarrassing story or, or your funniest story from preaching somewhere. Yeah, boy, I have plenty. My funniest story probably is is the first first uh, the first sermon I ever preached. Okay, in a real preaching setting, I've done some Sunday school things, you know, some Bible study settings, but it was at, at a, a place called the Home of Grace, which is on the outskirts of Mobile, Alabama. And the Home of Grace was a halfway house. Uh, they had one for men and one for women. They, they were separated in different units. The one for women would have between you know, forty and to 50, maybe 60 women there at any given time. They all were there to give us some type of great struggle. Maybe it meant some kind of drug abuse struggle. Maybe they'd been in abusive marriage and were there for a period of weeks to recover, but they all were there out of some uh, context of hardship. So I would, went a couple of times with a friend of mine who was the regular kind of preacher for these Sunday afternoon services. And I went to kind of help. Well, one week he announced that he needed me to preach the next Sunday. And I was both exhilarated and frightened. I wanted to do it. I had no idea how to preach. I never preached before. I never prepared a sermon for, you know, I did not know what a commentary was. I didn't I had to have all these things that were, were the tools that were needed. So I literally remember in my dorm room as a college basketball player, taking out a piece of paper, like writing down everything I knew, like all the, you know, my favorite Bible verses, like all the preachers jargon I'd ever heard. I kind of wrote down some of those one lines. I uh, wrote down a couple of different, you know, stories I thought that would help to illustrate. I put all this down. I get up to preach that Sunday. And I go like through all my notes in like 10 minutes. I don't know what to do. I'm there. I know it's supposed to last longer than 10 minutes. So I just start my notes over again and go through my sermon notes again. And again, I feel like I'm dying in front of 40 ladies out there. Well, well anyway, the, the service is coming to an end. The sermon is coming to an end. I give this invitation to the best of my ability. And, and like seven different women come forward, kneeling at the altar, uh, wanting to follow Christ. And so, man, I, I am like this full range of emotions from being frightened to being exhilarated now to feeling overwhelmed at God's grace. So, so anyway, so I'm feeling great. We're leaving. I'm feeling you know, like Billy Graham. We're in the truck riding back home, me and the guy who goes every Sunday. And uh, he says to me, a great job. I say, thanks, Scott. He says, boy, it makes you feel good when those, when those women came forward, didn't it, during the invitation. I said, are you kidding? It was awesome. And he said, yeah, it's a great feeling. He said, you know, those same seven women come forward every Sunday when I preach. 
So anyway, there you have it. My first great sermon, a great response invitation. Only find out they were kind of pre-programmed to come forward every single week. <laughs> nice. I, I can at least say I cut your length down in half on my first sermon. Uh, <laughs> that I, I had practiced it all week. I'd been in the sanctuary just going through. And I, I swore in the middle of all of that, that I was going to be the next, you know, Billy Graham. Like I was just nailing everything there when nobody was there. And then Sunday rolled around and uh, I preached and it was, it was maybe all of five minutes. And, uh, but the people loved it because we got to beat the uh, Methodist to lunch. So they, oh, yeah, yeah. they wanted me to preach more yeah. often, man. People are high-fiving you on the way out. Yeah. yeah. Well, tell, tell us, you know, move, moving now from, from kind of you into Midwestern, what, what what is God really up to uh, at Midwestern? You shared about the rebound, obviously that that's you know something we praise God uh, for. Uh, what what is something you can just brag on God about that? It's not what Jason has done. It's not what our professors have have done or anything special. It's what clearly God has done in and through you guys at Midwestern. Yeah, thank you for the question and. I'll tell you, I've had many people say to me something along these lines, the Midwestern story is the most compelling story in theological education today. Uh, the seminary was at a real low ebb. Um, they had been through multiple rounds of layoffs, uh, of staff given financial challenges. The chapel construction project had stalled out given a lack of funding. And so it, it was at a real low point. The, my predecessor had resigned under pressure. And so there was just a morale issue, a real challenge. So I come here kind of too young and naive to even be aware fully of the gravity of the situation. And God just really from day one began to give us little wins. And, and you know, now six years into this, let's say hiring a faculty member, it's so much more compelling and so much, so much easier, frankly, because people see a track record of, of health, of success, of growth. They see a great faculty here. They can envision themselves wanting to come and serve alongside of them. But six years ago, when God called me here, I mean, there, there was like nothing. There was, there was, in fact, just this is a, 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 a flash here in this moment. It was six years ago today, the Tuesday after Labor Day, six years ago, that the search committee formally offered me the job. Wow. And so uh, then the board would meet you know, a little over a month later and vote. But, but so for me, coming in that first year especially, I didn't fully, uh, I wasn't fully aware of how acute the financial challenges were. And God gave out of the blue some, some just very generous gifts. So one couple out of the blue gave us some $500,000 that helped us pay our bills that first year. And then we began to cobble together some financial victories, um, which uh, just enabled us to kind of remain afloat the first couple of years and then, and then begin to build strength. The vision of existing for the church, um, that is who we are, that's who I am. From day one, we've been really clear about that vision for the seminary. And so the vision enabled us to draw people by way of supporters and faculty who resonate with that vision that stood with it. And so you're able then to make great hires and it, the momentum begins to build. And so, so, you know, now we're six years on the other side of that nearly six years and the seminary is more than tripled. I came, we had about 1100 students the, the year that just finished in July, um, the academic year that finished in July, we finished with just over 3,500. Uh, we're up again double digits this fall, so it's continuing to build and grow. So we can see ourselves closing in on 4,000 students. And so I'll tell you, it's, I can reflect on those things with great joy and a sense of accomplishment because I'm keenly aware it's not about me. It's not because I'm so smart or I'm such a hard worker. I seek to be a hard worker. I seek to be intelligent about decisions. But you see all these different points of providence where God just chosen to bless, to call, to bring people here. And so 
those early years, I was having to say to potential employees, you know, team members, you, you kind of need to dream with me, man. Just kind of trust God with me. Believe what God's going to do. And, uh, and some people are willing to take those steps of faith and come. And, and now to be able to say to people, look, here's where we're going. Here's what we're trusting God to do in the years ahead. Here's the track record the past five, six years. Here are what God's done. Here's the enrollment growth. Here are the financial victories. Here are the, the construction victories. Here are the team victories. And see that. It's just a very compelling narrative. Uh, God's given us tremendous favor generationally. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a formal guy. I tend to wear suits, but the campus is not a stuffy campus. It's a cheerful campus. I mean, we have church planners around. We have we have just all different stripes around. You know, it, so it just really is a, a a cheerful, happy, eclectic, and a good gospel sense campus. Awesome. As as one of the six Southern Baptist seminaries, um, in addition to to quality theological education for somebody who maybe is not is not as familiar with, with what our seminaries do outside of just your work on campus. What would Midwestern offer to the SBC at large? Yeah. So, so you mean like our distinct, what's distinct about us? Sure. Or what sure. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's distinct about Midwestern? Yeah. I would say, first of all, what's distinct is the vision of existing for the church. Okay. So every self-respecting institution seminary who is aware of the new Testament understands some connection between their work and serving the local church. For us, we really have made that our, our raison d'etre. We really have made that our reason for existence, our, our the, why God has us here. So it's built upon the foundation of Matthew 16. It's built upon the foundation of Ephesians 4. And so we literally, my first year, year and a half year, we, we went through with a fine-tooth comb, and really you continue to do it, to ask ourselves, how does this topic, how does this class, how does this hire, how will this enable us to more effectively serve the church? So we revised our whole curriculum to best serve the church. Um, every class is taught from that vantage point of serving the church. You know, church history isn't just names and dates. It's the story of God's working throughout his church throughout the ages. The Great Commission, you know, missions is not just about overseas people and places. It's about God expanding his church globally. Theology is about sound doctrine for the church, not just, you know, crafting arguments. Evangelism is about reaching people into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so ethics is about teaching people to think, you know, church members to think critically about these cutting edge issues. So it really does frame everything we do. So that compelling vision is what's most unique about us. Um, then you, you back out from that. There are a whole host of other things. There's a generational reality here. My team largely is young. I mean, the Owen Strands, the Jason Deucings, the Matthew Barrett's, the Jared Wilson's, I mean, and, and so many others I can name. They tend to be kind of 40, 42 to, to, to 30, 32. And so we feel like we're at the cutting edge of a, of a generational team here that God is blessing and that can be positioned to serve for a long time. And then, frankly, we do a lot of practical things. We work very hard to keep our tuition low. And look, we're offering a first-class product. I, I would not apologize for one second. I think our faculty stacks up well with anyone. The campus itself stacks up very well with anyone. And we've been able to build a business model that keeps tuition low. And look, the world we live on with expenses and family and healthcare and all the other costs that a young family has to experience and navigate, it just matters to have tuition low. And so our tuition compares very favorable to other seminaries and we're intentional about that. Awesome. As we begin to to wind down, uh, what, what are a couple of things happening at uh, Midwestern or about to happen uh, that our listeners might want to know about? So I have been living in Constructionville for the past 18 months, and we are gloriously about to wrap that up. We are finishing up a $3.2 million renovation of our primary classroom and faculty building. It's, it's basically done. We're just kind of putting the finishing touches on it. 
our student center, a 40,000 square foot facility, $13 million. It houses everything from a bookstore to a cafeteria to a cafe kind of coffee shop to some classrooms, to former ga formal gathering spaces, to full recreation, cardio, uh, weightlifting, racquetball, CrossFit, a massive college gymnasium. I mean, all of that is basically done here the next couple of weeks. So first of all, it just gives us a massive amenity upgrade on campus. But having those pieces, it, it just really advances the community dynamic here where people congregate and go together, and play together and work together. So that's huge. So the facility front, both those are basically done now. We'll be dedicating the student center in August, excuse me, in October with our fall board meeting. And uh, the other renovation will hold off on, on actually dedicated in spring, though it's nearly done as well. So those are these big projects that are, that are getting done. Uh, for us, we, we seek to bring premier conferences. So we have our For the Church conference coming up in just a couple of weeks. Our chapel will be packed with guests for that. Uh, our fall Spurgeon lectures on preaching, H.B. Charles is delivering those. So we're looking forward to that. Then you get into the spring semester. We have you know, major events then. We have our Ready Conference, which is a big high school kind of a conference. We'll pack the chapel. We have our nine marks at Midwestern year two in the spring. And that's, you know, we had about 600 people here last year, a great event. So, so it kind of never ends. And that's a sweet thing. I love the rhythm. I love the hustle of it all, but it really never ends. And for me, guys, the way theological education has changed is it, it's everything is more dispersed. So 50 years ago, you know, you always moved to campus. If you're going to seminary, there was no online. There's really even at that point, very little by way of extension center. You moved to campus, you studied there, you lived on campus often, and it was just very tight. You did that for three years, then, then you moved off. Now with online and with hybrid classes and people coming and going, everything's just more dispersed. So we want to optimize every single thing we can for our students and by way of institutional touch points. So for us, these conferences are key to be able to encourage and teach our students and even regional pastors and so forth. So we really do about every month to six weeks, having a pretty major event on campus that draws people, including our students who are dispersed abroad. We're able to encourage them, to, to mentor them, to shape them through those various touch points. Awesome. Awesome. One of the kind of gained some traction um, at Midwestern is the Spurgeon Library. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's been a big deal. Um, so here's, here's what I want to know. Have you had to escort any students off for trying to climb up and preach behind the Spurgeon lectern that's in there? Uh, we've had to tase a few. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll tell you what, it's funny you say that, not to preach behind it, but, but we have Spur Spurgeon's preaching rails. We, we have oh, Spurgeon's a lot of things. We have the last cigar on, that Spurgeon had on his body when he died. We have Spurgeon's pipe. We, we, have, we, have, we have hundreds of artifacts. We have about 6,000 of his books, hundreds of which are heavily annotated. So it is, you know, Spurgeon Mecca. And uh, we do have his preaching rail. We have his desk, his preaching rail. We have people often want to step up behind it and get their picture made, which I understand. The display is really not designed with that in mind. So uh, we kind of, you know, some people do it. We don't, we don't, we don't yell at them, but we do discourage the practice. So, man, I'm telling you, if you guys never been here, you need to make a pilgrimage here to see it. It's the kind of thing you can spend, you know, several hours in taking it all in. Truly impressive. Truly impressive. I dare say it's on both our bucket lists to, to come. Definitely. To don't, don't wait. Don't make it that that delayed. <laughs> you, guys, you guys both need another degree and you need to get it here. I, I agree. Well, I, I got one one last question that's just a one word answer or one number answer. Uh, how many books are in your library? You know, that's a very good question. I'm going to guess these days 
north of 10,000. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't have an exact count, but north of 10,000. I'm south of 10,000. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, I, hopefully, Lord willing, I have many decades to grow and uh, to grow my library as well. Awesome. Well, as we close, how, how can uh, folks be praying for, for you and for Midwestern? Yeah, I think there are two words I always ask people. One is the word of word faithfulness and the other is the word stewardship. I, I view all that I have here as a stewardship from God to me, from God beyond me. On behalf of Southern Baptists, on behalf of just the broader evangelical world who we often serve. So help us to continue to, 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 to serve with that sense of stewardship. Um, and then that looks like faithfulness. We want to be faithful. Look, God has blessed the seminary numerically, as we've talked about today, but I want us to be faithful, theologically faithful, morally faithful, spiritually faithful. And so pray that, that we would position ourselves and function in such a way that brings God just maximum pleasure as to how we steward all of this. Well, as much as I don't want it, it is time to hop off the train until the next time. Now, we're grateful that you took the time to listen in today. And if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe on iTunes. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review so we can keep these coming to you. You can also visit us online at www.notanotherbaptistpodcast.com or at Facebook under Not Another Baptist Podcast or on Twitter at NAB underscore podcast. Hensley, today you get the privilege to send us out on top. Oh, I'm so excited about this. <laughs> Until next time, may your coffee okay, be as black oh. as night and as bold as the gospel I declare because he obviously declares something else.